But really what it's, what's involved is giving data a seat at the table uh, to treat it like it's valuable rather than just something that's out there. We store it somewhere. Oh, it's over here somewhere. Um, we don't really know what to do with it. Um, all of those things are symptoms of a company not either being data-driven or not really treating data as a first-class citizen. So That was Peter Nedensheim of Align BI, who is currently working as a fractional chief data officer. So I wanted to bring him on to the show today and just talk about what a chief data officer is, why you might need one, and then get into more of the specifics of how they actually implement these things. But before we get into it, please make sure to like, share, subscribe, and leave us a rating on the podcast platform if you're listening on the podcast. Otherwise, comments and all those things on YouTube to help share this and grow this whole concept that we're doing to try to just elevate people's data career by learning from those that have went before us and really get all of that knowledge and information for us to learn from. So without further ado, here is Peter Nettensheim of Align BI. Yeah, well, Peter, uh, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. It's been a while. What are you, uh, for people that don't know you, tell me um, what you're doing now. Because when we met, you were doing very yeah. hands-on business intelligence type stuff. And that was uh, five, six years ago, something like yeah. that. So so what's going on in your world now? And what company are you with? Your own company or just what's going on? Yeah, no, it's, first, it's great to be here. I appreciate being able to talk to you again, see you again. And, and uh, I just appreciate that. So this is wonderful. Um, so I am uh, uh, back at Align BI again, uh, and that was the company I was with uh, that I founded, I want to say 10 years ago, um, but I took about a two or three year break. Uh, there was a friend of mine that uh, uh, had a startup company that was going, and he asked me to come on board uh, to, to manage uh, as a CDO, uh, and then we got acquired by another company. I served as the VP of data strategy there. Um, but, uh, in the course of the last year, um, I jumped back to Align BI and, and our focus has shifted a little bit, uh, while we still are engaged in the tactical aspects of, uh, analytics and, and implementation of that, uh, we've really started to shift over to, uh, what we're terming a fractional chief data officer offering, uh, a fractional CDO. Uh, and, and so that's, uh, it's been fun. It's been an education and it's been, uh, an evolution, so but that's that's yeah. where I currently am right now. So so tell me about okay. So you joined a startup at, with yep. your friend as the yep. CDO, which is the chief yep. data officer. Mm -hmm. So so at a startup, what does a chief data officer do? Like what is like how would you define that role? And is it different at a startup versus say uh, I don't know Walmart or some giant company yeah. like that? Yeah, no, I think <laughs> it's uh, I, I think it's totally different. And and if I'm being totally honest in hindsight. Uh, we were probably a little too early in bringing on a chief data officer at that point. Um, but uh, again, it's things you learn at a startup. Uh, and so uh, I actually split roles with uh, helping with customer success and actually implementing because it was pretty data centric that, that I naturally was able to help them with that. Uh, but at a startup company, or uh, I would say um, a, uh, a growing mid-size or small size company might be a really good candidate to, to start looking at a, a chief data officer. Uh, but you're very much involved in building the foundations of what's needed to handle data as a real strategic asset. Um, and I know there's a lot of buzzwords that go on, strategic and asset and, and things like that. But, but really what it's, what's involved is giving data a seat at the table. Uh, to treat it like it's valuable rather than just something that's out there. We store it somewhere. Oh, it's over here somewhere. Um, we don't really know what to do with it. Um, all of those things are symptoms of a company not either being data-driven or not really treating data as a first-class citizen. So I think at a startup company, uh, you really operate in uh, the mode of a uh, what's called a first-generation chief data officer. And that that's a term that was coined by... Uh, a, a person named Carolyn Carruthers, who wrote a book uh, called The Chief Data Officer Playbook, I think. Uh, and I find it, it's a good read. My wife makes fun of me because I read that stuff, but I find it to be a good read. Uh, and I think she really outlines things really well with uh, a colleague of hers, Peter Jackson. And she coined the term uh, first generation chief data officer, and it's different than second generation. And I find that to be the case. So uh, really, you're laying the foundations of... Uh, um, things from a data perspective, one, trying to establish a culture 
trying to bring the right people in, trying to create a data governance component. And again, there's buzzwords all associated with that. But really, you're just trying to get your arms around data, elevate it to a point where it's trusted, um, it's usable, every, everyone can get at it who should get at it, and those who shouldn't can't, um, and trying to strike the right balance of process that's good for governing and process, and not having too much where it's just a burden. So that's what I think goes on at, at a, a smaller company that when you're starting from a uh, with a chief data officer. And, and one thing you said there about that catches my ear was about people not getting access to it that shouldn't. Are you talking yeah. about um, you know, what we might consider risk management or infosec or like external parties hacking in? Or are you talking uh, about, uh, you know, the marketing tool that they soup du jour, they, yeah. they chose, can all of a sudden just, you know, pull all of our customer data onto some other platform we don't have a clue about? Let, let, yeah. Like, well, how do you define that? Like, because that's yeah. something that's always been fuzzy for me is like, sure, you're a chief data officer, your job is to make data valuable or to make it, you know, all the things you just said. But yeah. how, But what about the security side? Is it really InfoSec stuff or is it more just like how you are integrating it into your systems or operations or whatever? Yeah, that's actually a, a, su a super question and, and it's a good question to define. And I would say that uh, I don't know that there's black and white lines, but I've, I've come to a place where I think it makes sense. And so I'll share and maybe it'll be a good discussion because you may present some points and I go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> um, but from the infosec and, and that uh, uh, that compliance side, I think there's actually a role for someone dedicated to that uh, because I think that's a very specialized skill set. I think the chief data officer works in concert with that person or department uh, because it's critically important. But I don't know that that's the chief data officer's role is to be that person because there's just a lot to that, especially when you start factoring GDPR and, and initiatives going on in California and other places where you really have to know what you're doing there and have to get that word out. I believe it's the chief data officer's role to work with that person uh, in order to apply that throughout the company. Uh, and so I think it's a, it's a concerted effort when it comes to InfoSec and, and things like that. I do think it's the chief data officer's role, though, to own um, and to help the business understand who should be having access to data. Uh, and that gets to your example of, oh, I got a marketing person that's just downloading the entire customer database, starting on their laptop and just doing whatever with it. Okay, we need to have some process around that. There needs to be some <laughs> governance there uh, because the, the, the person in charge of security is going to have a heart attack if you're if you're, you're doing yeah. that. And so um, to me, the line delineates between what we're doing internally uh, with what's happening externally from a governance, uh, well, governance probably not the right word, but from a um, compliance standpoint. And I think there is an organization that should really be in charge of compliance because they know that really well and you should work mm -hmm. in concert with that. Did that make sense and, in terms of the answer? Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. Now, now have you done that and had that those situations arise? Like I know in my past I've had um, not as a chief data officer, but as someone in a data leadership position, mm -hmm. those situations where we have the risk management department or whatever they want to call themselves today yep. saying, hey, you can't do that. You can't <laughs> stand up that thing. It, the data all has to be encrypted at rest, et cetera, uh -huh. et cetera. Have yep. you encountered those situations? And if so, like, how did you handle that? I mean, oh, it yeah. seems like it might be common, but yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Is it generally a pain in the butt or is it more like, <laughs> oh, hey, you know, you're on first, who's on second kind of a thing? Yeah, no. So it is, it's generally a pain in the butt and, and, and it's encountered, but it's something that I think if people took the approach of standing in the other person's shoes for a little while, you'd understand where they're coming from. Uh, and, and so unfortunately it's, it's a vague answer to a specific question. Um, <laughs> and, and the reality is it has to be dealt with, but I don't think the right answer is an extreme approach on either end. And, and so that, that's where you get kind of this analogy of a pendulum. You can either be a data dictator and no one and nothing happens. And that's a terrible situation to be in. Or you swing the pendulum to the other side and it's the Wild West. Hey, do whatever you want. And clearly that's not OK. Uh, and so I think there's middle ground in there. Um, many times the risk management folks, they're pretty black and white. And so th there's not middle ground. And, and I think you just need to work with them. I need to have conversations and help the business understand why they're saying what they're saying uh, and then have a conversation with the business to say, if we store everything encrypted at rest, here's the price tag for that. Is, 
Is that really yeah. what we can afford to do? And and those conversations, if they're handled in a way <clears throat> where people are respectful and understanding where the other person's coming from, they usually get resolved. Unfortunately, it's not always that way. And sometimes the decision has to be made at a high level to say, thanks for the input. This is what we're doing. Either get on board or get on another train. And yeah, that's not yeah ideal, I like that. But... <laughs> no, I like that, though. I, I really feel... <laughs> You know, and I, I don't know, worked in corporate stuff for what, 20 years or so. And one thing I realized later on as I got more into the the big tech type Silicon Valley companies was yep. there's this great sense of like, oh, we are all equals. We can all just do whatever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have to have someone whose job it is or role it is to say, no, this is what we're doing. Right. And I'm the one that has the final decision. Happy to take all your feedback. Yes. But but look, if this goes south, it's on me. So I'm the one that has to say. So in your um, well, you know, let's touch on that for a second. But I want to get into how to implement these things. So, you know, in your work, is it difficult to come into a company as a fractional chief data officer and say, hey, guys, here's what you should do. Mm-hmm. And they say, hey, that's cute. But, you know, no, thanks. I yeah. mean, but and you're, and you're like, well, you're paying me 500 bucks an hour or whatever <laughs> it is. So take yeah. it or leave it. Like, how, how does that go as a kind of data consultant in that role? Yeah, no, you, it's, you, you're hitting something spot on. Um, <laughs> and I would say that I've been involved in both scenarios. Um, one where you have good, again, buzzword, executive sponsorship. And all that means is you've got buy-in at the top levels and it can't just be buy-in with one person at a top level. That might work if it's the CEO, if they're going to say, hey, we're doing this and get on board. But typically there has to be some more buy-in where people understand the intent of what we're doing. Um, And in those scenarios, it goes well because people understand, yes, we're committed to this. We're having a conversation about what we're going to do. And the honest truth is we're going to disrupt things a little bit. There's going to be some culture changes. There's going to be some shifts. Um, We're not going to handle this with a, you know, with a hammer and just hit you over the head. We're going to work together on this, but understand that times are changing. So we need to change. And if you have that support at the top level, either from the board, but even at the board, it's not enough. You have to have it at the top level leadership within a company who will support you as you do what you want to do. Now, I've been in other situations where we go in and people say they want the change, but we're put in at a tactical level. And in Mm -hmm. that case, uh, I've had situations where I've had to bluntly say, listen, you brought me in for my opinion. If you don't like what I'm saying, that's okay, but I'm not going to change my opinion just because you don't like it. So... (laughs) I, and and usually it's it's kind of a yellow or red flag, I can tell as we're talking, if you have that support or if you don't. And there's been times when I've told people, I don't think this is a good fit. I, I don't think this is right because I don't think you're ready for it. And mm-hmm. But if you can get these things in place, then we'll be in a good place and, let, and let's talk. But I just don't know that it's the right thing to do because we're all going to end up not happy. Uh, yeah. Because clearly people are not not ready for this. So that's, uh, I think, isn't that a TDWI or one of these organizations that has these kind of data maturity cycle mm-hmm. things where they, they, they talk about that. They say like, yes, you need, you know, X, Y, and Z tools and platforms and people yep. and processes, yep. but you also need an open mindset when someone comes to you and says, Hey, we can't do that this way. We have to do it this way you have to be willing to change because if you're not, this yeah. is all just a giant waste, a colossal <laughs> waste of time and money. That's exactly <laughs> right. And, and, and it's going to be a colossal failure and people are going to get pointed at because so you identify because to me, there are four things and you identify it perfectly. There's people, there's process, there's technology, but we also have to factor in culture. There has to be a culture. And if it's not there, a willingness to at least build that culture a willingness to change and be open-minded and not look at people as adversaries and um, trying to build kingdoms or territories. It's, Hey, we're trying to work for the common good here. And if people can have that mindset, it, it is, you have the possibility for success. If you don't, it's a slog and it's in all honesty, it's, it's hard to, it's hard, if not impossible to get to. So, so let's, let's dive into those a little bit. So you, you have four areas there. So mm-hmm. the first one is people, what kind mm-hmm. is, so if you're coming in yeah. to a company here, uh, well, I mean, uh, th- those are the four areas, but like, what is step one? 
You know, is it to find the right people? Is it to find the processes? Is it just to assess? Like if I'm a new company and I just called you, I'm on the phone with you, Peter, what's, how do we get going here? Right. I have nothing in place today. Yeah. That's a, again, good questions. And and by the way, the questions you're asking, I can tell it's not been your first rodeo. So because you're asking (laughs) the right, you're asking the right things. Um, So to me, the first thing is always uh, learning and assessing. Uh, Because the one thing I've learned is as much as certain patterns and principles apply, every business is unique. And and I think the last thing that people like is someone coming into their business, not knowing the business and telling them what to do. Um, I find that patronizing when people do that to me. And I would imagine people don't like it if I do it to them. So I think the first thing it's, it's learning, understanding and assessing. It's listening. It's talking to people, finding out where the pain points are. This is what I've heard. Help me understand what's working for you and what's not working for you. And, and it's truly listening uh, and, and gathering that information that way. Because if you look at it as we're going to be partners here and we're going to work together, um, you got to understand the other the other person. And quite honestly, they're the business experts. So let's let's learn and understand. So to me, that's the first step. Um, and unfortunately, that takes a little bit of time. Um, but you have to quickly get to the second step. And I think that is you start to develop a data, a, a data strategy, again, a buzzword. All it is, is a plan of action. This, and, and typically through the learning and the assessment, you, you, things surface and you start to learn, okay, these are some hot button areas. These are some pain point areas. This is the company's mission and vision. And we're not really aligned with that. So where do we start to get those things aligned? And so uh, I would then, the second step would be to develop a short-term strategy because the other thing that you have to do is get some quick wins. Uh, If you don't get quick wins, you don't start to build momentum. People start saying, why are we paying this dude all this money and nothing's happening? And so you have to balance the long-term with the short-term. And I I would say a short-term strategy is appropriate while at the same time building out that longer-term strategy and approach. And once you have the plan in place and you share it with people and it's appropriate for the business, then you start staffing, you start looking at technology and technology, by the way, is just a means to an end. It's not too many people view it as the end. Oh, we got, we got snowflake and it'll solve the problems. Well, it's not a silver bullet. It's a, it's a tool to solve your problems. Uh, So then you start looking at those parts and pieces, building out the processes, building out the policies that need to be in place that are right sized can't be too much, can't be too little, uh, but you start uh, forming organizations, whether it's a governance committee, whether it's a center of excellence where everyone can participate. And again, that's based on culture and, and how organizations operate. So those are kind of the three steps that I would start with and, and take mm-hmm. and, then, and then work from there. So what kind, so break that down a little bit for me. So yeah. between let's say, um, let's say data governance, a data governance uh, council and a mm-hmm. uh, center of excellence. What is the difference between those two things? Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point. Um, I view the difference as the data governance uh, council um, is really a grouping of individuals because you want to get the data strategy and you want to get data governance to be pervasive throughout the organization. The worst thing is when people say, well, it's a CDO's job. Let him do it. Like, whoa. Or, hey, that's the CDO. She can handle this. I'm not doing it. It's not my. And I think, oh, that's the worst thing in the world because the culture is clearly not shifting and people are not buying into this. They're just saying, well, it's not my job. It's theirs. And so to me, the Data Governance Council is a way to establish what are the rules that we're going to work with uh, for the for data within our company, what are the policies we're going to have in place? What are the things we're going to ha- do as a general sense? And then I like to have individuals that are part of each organization and say, okay, within your organization, how are you going to handle data? What are some of the issues you're dealing with? And and who's going to be a data steward, meaning in charge of things? Who's going to own this so that we can follow up and make sure that things are working uh, appropriately? Because again, it's not just about what you can't do. We want to open up data to you and democratize it. So like your shirt, we want to free the data. We want it to be readily available to people, but we've got to have some rules around. So I view that data uh, governance council as the group that sets those policies, the group that sets the rules. Uh, and uh, the other, the, the, the competency center are the ones that now deal with, here are the, here are the things we want to do. These are the issues we're facing. 
this is the stuff we want to tackle. These are some ideas we have. Let's prioritize what we're going to work on as a company as it aligns with the company strategy and let's start doing things. So I guess in simple sense, it's, it's the rules around how we're going to do things. And then the, 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 uh, um, center of excellence is what are we going to do and, and prioritize it and, and what's going to be on our roadmap and how are we going to do it? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I mean, I know that, um, in my past, when everyone, when uh, agile uh, project management became a thing, um, everyone was hot on that. And we kind of had, I guess what you would call a center of excellence where, you know, again, me in a data leadership role, there's a million things that we yeah. all, that every, every, you know, the company wants to do, yeah. but how do you decide what's what and what yeah. to decide? And the center of excellence idea in, tell me if you agree with this, or at least how we implemented it in terms of this agile project management framework was you brought those business leaders together mm-hmm. and uh, and the data team was actually not present for this. You had quote, yeah. a, sort of a scrum master or somebody like a project manager that would facilitate them sort of fighting it out. <laughs> Maybe yeah. fighting is not the right word, but you know, uh, yeah. you know how, yeah. we know how meetings get but to where in the end they decided what we should work on. Um, and that way they're bought in. Right. Yeah. I mean, is that is that kind of the idea? Like the data team shouldn't come in and say, hey, yeah, I have this uh, data IQ or Snowflake or some shiny new tool yeah. that I want to implement. Let's do that one because I can use this thing for it. Like that yeah. seems like the tail wagging the dog a bit. Right. I mean, would you agree like that's generally why you would have a center of excellence is to get the the buy in from the the business owners? I would totally agree with you. And, and, and you mentioned a couple of things in there that I think are key. Uh, and one is that that you work on the things that matter. Uh, when you start to get in a siloed approach, people start to work on things. And if you if you surface it up and say, how is this helping the company objectives or goals or mission that we have? Oh, it's not. It's helping an organization. Well, then we probably should not do that. And bringing everyone together allows us to stay grounded and focused on what the leadership has said our company is going to be. And so... Um, that's one of the areas. Uh, and I love that you said you're bringing these people together because that's exactly what it is. But then you also have to hash out. What are you going to work on? Because you're right. Resources are not unlimited. You have limited time. You have limited money, budget. You have limited people. So what are we going to focus on? And then and you use the word buy-in. And I think that was the last key because if people aren't bought in, what they do is if they don't get their way in this, they go back and do end arounds. And, it's, mm-hmm. and, and that's a clear evidence that people aren't bought in or they're not feeling heard or they're feeling like I never get my stuff worked on. And that to me is, okay, that's about relationship building and communicating, which by the way, I think is one of the most important things for a chief data officer. Uh, because if you'd have people doing end arounds, there's a reason why. And, and, and you've got to understand and not stop it because you want to be the data dictator, but Stop it because that's not what's best for the company. Let's help you get what you need. Let's work together here. I, I, I'm sorry that you felt neglected. And, and but So what can we do to fix that? Uh, mm-hmm. So you brought up some real key points, and I agree 100% with where you were going with that. So. Yeah, it's in my experience, it's been a, it's been a hard... Uh, at a very fast-growing company, that's the, the harder that is. I feel like when you're at a more established company and there's more processes, it's like, okay, we can just get on board. This is how yeah. we do things. But when you're at a really fast-moving company, hiring, you know, hand over fist and implementing new tools left and right. Yep. My now now you know m- my background or my experience in that realm, and I'm curious your thoughts on this was that. I just generally because you're you're trying to hang on to a rocket ship, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. It, it's 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 basically impossible to say, hey, let's get everyone bought in on this right, because right. they were given the charter to go do the thing they were hired for, and yep. you're stopping them if yep. you're saying come to my thing and do it my way. So I always kind of focused on like, l- let's let's partner. You can yep. do whatever you want. The only time I'm going to step in is when I see something that's like, let's say, unsafe. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, yeah, hey, you want to upload our entire customer database to some cloud marketing tool yeah. that that like in you I still want you to do that, but let us have the infosec team, the risk management team yeah, vet that look. company. Yeah. yeah, let's just let them have a look before you just give away all our customer information and figure out what they're going to do. That yeah. was always mine was just like when you're trying to just hang on. It's more like, let's just try to prevent catastrophes, Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is maybe like bad. But I guess when you're moving so fast, I mean, have you ever felt that? Is that 
I, you know, or is this my own psychological? Did I like manifest this in my own no, brain? <laughs> no, I've, I've totally felt that, and especially in the startup world, I actually like what you were saying and how you how you organize that. I don't know that I ever organized it just that way, and now I kind of regret it because I think, <laughs> wow, that that that's a pretty cool way to do it. Um, the way that I've handled it is um, I. I'll establish what's called kind of an innovation element and say, you guys can innovate all you want inside here. But once you start identifying something that is being used regularly or mm. that you're using to run the business, will you agree that you pass that over to us and we can put it under proper process control, um, you know, version control, and, and we can now make it a standard that everyone can use. And so it doesn't sit in a silo. Um, that. That I, I've had success, yeah. but it, it also hasn't worked. If, if people are like, yeah, that's more work than I want to do, or ah, I just don't <laughs> have time to do that. And, and the reality is in a startup company, people are flying with their hair on fire. And so I like your approach. Um, I've tried similar, but a little different approaches. And I guess the, the answer would be, you got to figure out what works because the reality is you can't just stop things because people in those roles are really smart. And they're really innovative and they're there for a reason. And they aren't the type of people that are like, well, they said I couldn't. So no, <laughs> yeah, I'm not no, just going to sit here no. uh, sit, sitting on my hands doing nothing. <clears throat> yeah. So, so talk about the, the, you know, a keyword there that, that you threw out, which is a, a, I mean, going back to, uh, Bill Inman, right? It's the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the silos. Yes. So how do you deal with silos? So, so first off, for anyone that's unfamiliar, what is a data silo? Why is that good or bad? Yeah. I mean, and what do you do? Like, like what's what's the answer? Well, it's uh, it's a tricky one. But the way I define data, data silos is when you have an organization or an individual who deals with the data independently, and they make up their own rules, they make up their own processes, um, and, and that could even be business rules, like defining, uh, for example, example. I've seen this over and over. How many active customers do we have? Ooh, I don't know. What does active mean? What does customer mean? And, oh, okay, well, I defined it and I, I just did it and this is what I'm doing. And, and or so the once, tool defined it for me. Yeah, that's I see exactly, that a yeah. lot too. The tool yeah. just told me what it was. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Let's use that number, right? Yeah, and it's like, whoa, is that appropriate for our business? I don't know, but it told me what to do. So, so that's kind of how I define data silos is people grab the data, they have it sitting there almost in a repository, whether it's a database or file system or you know, cloud-based system, and, and they own it. They control it. They manage the rules. They manage what, what's happening. And largely, no one else is working with it or dealing with it. They may see the output of it like a report or something like that, but no one else is really dealing with the data. And so right next door, you have something that's the same thing, only different. And they've defined things a little differently, but they've pulled the, a largely similar data set in and they're managing that independently. And now a report comes out of there that people see. And so I view those things as that's how I would define a data silo. Mm -hmm. Maybe and, it's and what's wrong with that? So, Why, or, yeah. or is that fine? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, it may be fine in the scenario where you've agreed that that's an innovation activity saying you're going to go explore things. You're going to go look at things and you're going to discover things. And if you need to pull data in and have it that way, great. But we all understand that that's an innovation activity. That's something that's not going to get out to everyone else that that we're going to look at that and fold that into the larger whole later on. That would be the one time that I think that's appropriate. Um, and I have to always be careful because when I talk in absolutes, someone comes up with a use case and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> of a course. Good, good idea, too. <laughs> but uh, uh, but where I see that being problematic is you're now duplicating data across the company that doesn't need to be duplicated. It, one, increases your risk uh, and it, two, increases your cost. Uh, and three, it drops your you know, efficiency and your ability to, to move and make correct decisions. The other thing that I've seen happen is people then at the C-level ask for information, like, I want to know how many active users we have. And now they get three reports that give them three different answers. And they're left wondering, well, what the heck? That's an, that's an easy question. Why is this answer so convoluted? And so it, it just manifests itself in, in multiple ways of inefficiency, you incur technical debt, people may be defining things incorrectly, they may not have any process or, or, or governance around what they're doing, and so it's wide open to risk. Uh, and it just creates a rough environment altogether. It also kind of engenders this 
my stuff, your stuff, rather than this is our stuff. So yeah, yeah, and so I, okay, so that's the problem. So what do you yeah. do? How do you solve uh, this kind of thing? So this is one that it's super easy for me to sit here and say what to do. And I'm sure you've been in these mm-hmm. realms where then when you try and deal with it, it's a lot, it's a lot more nuanced. Um, and the way that I've done it in the past is I have approached the individuals and talked to them and again, tried to understand why are you doing this? Uh, you clearly have a reason. Most people don't do things just because they're jerks or because they want to be mean. Some people do, but most people don't. And so there's usually a really good business reason. There's usually a good reason that they have. And I try to understand that. Uh, And once I understand that and understand what their self-interest is, meaning they're just trying to do their job or they're just trying to get this done or whatever it is, I now have the ability to work with them and appeal to that self-interest to say, listen, uh, can can we take this off your plate? We'll give you credit for it. Uh, We're not going to take credit for your work, but can we automate much of this? Can we bring this into a standard so you get what you have? It'll only be better. And so then we approach it as I'm going to try to help you do your job better rather than, hey, I want to take this from you because you're breaking the rules. And so I view it as if we approach things more as a coach instead of a referee, we get better results. And so that's how I try to handle those situations to try and say, hey, let's build this organization up. Let's do better. Let's be better. I got to, you know, this isn't the optimal way to do it, but I understand why you're doing it. Uh, instead of coming in at the referee with the, hey, here's your yellow card. And if you get another one, it's a red card and you're out. I'm like, eh, that's mm-hmm. usually not the best way. So I uh, try to approach it that way and bring them in as an ally instead of setting them up to be an adversary. I don't know and how and what about what about the data itself? Do yeah. you <clears throat> still read it? Because you said like you could have duplicate data that has different definitions. Yeah. Um, so typically what I will try to do is I'll try to consolidate that into one area. And if and if truly you have, and this happens often with marketing and finance, and they say, I need to categorize a product this way, GL codes, and I need to categorize it in marketing this way. I'll say, great, then let's set it up in an organized way where you have your hierarchy and marketing has their hierarchy, but it ties back to a common element, whether it's a SKU or a product ID, and that's just an example. Um, And so we say, I I can understand why you need to look at it that way, and I can understand why you need to look at it this way, but let's start with a common base. And once we start with that common base, we can always track back to what the uh, common element is, and then we can call it different things just let's label them appropriately. So everyone understands this is the finance product hierarchy. This is the marketing mm-hmm. product hierarchy. So that's how I try and, and bring it in. And, and if I can help them understand that their lives will be easier and I'm going to help them. And in fact, you know what, will you move on to the next project and do the same thing? Just let me know when you're ready and when we'll fold it in. Now they kind of feel empowered to go investigate, discover, be innovative, find things and we can work together on it. So, I, yeah, I mean, it's all- that's an interesting. Yeah, I wonder if you could almost create the sort of a reward system or something yeah. like, you know, hey, um, you know, Sarah in finance created this hierarchy, this thing. So anytime this report gets shown to, uh, you know, some higher ups or something like that, her name yeah. is right there. So yeah. she gets recognition for it, or maybe she has a little badge on her profile yeah. or something like that. I don't know. Like, yeah, no, and, I mean, and as, as petty as it may sound, it's human nature, but I found people, well, people, no one likes other people taking credit for their stuff. So what you just mm-hmm. said there is one thing that I found to be critical to say, hey, person XYZ did this. This is their work. I'm standing on their shoulders. They appreciate that. And, and it then allows them to say, oh. Well, I'll work with this group or I'll work with this person. I'll work with this guy or girl because they're they're giving me credit. They're not interested in building their own silo. They're interested in everyone. And and so I love w- where you went with that, because I think that is important. It, it kind of goes to the basic in all of us as humans that we want to be recognized. We want to be validated yeah. that we're you know, useful and good and doing good things. Yeah. I mean, recognition feels good in, in many ways. Right. And that's kind of a unique way where you're getting recognized somewhat publicly or semi-publicly for, uh, your, your brain juice, right. Something you, (laughs) you, you, uh, took from your brain and put into, uh, into reality, which is nice. Um, now, now, now what about, uh, data warehousing? Because where, I mean, you, you've been in the industry. I mean, when did you get into data work? Originally, uh, yeah, that's a good question. It was in the late '90s during the dot-com mm-hmm. bubble era. Um, I had originally worked in the marketing 
business space. Uh, got my undergraduate degree in public relations and my graduate uh, in business uh, and with emphasis in technology. But I was working in Chicago in various agencies and made a shift in the late 90s to Arthur Anderson, where I they kind of gave me a career shift and I was able to get trained and brought up to speed and, and almost like a second master's degree in technology and database systems. So that's really where it started for me. But I always saw the value of technology being a means to an end. And, and, and it, business intelligence might be an old word now, but it was yeah. good that business was the first word in there because it drove what was supposed to happen. So I always knew I wanted to merge those two worlds, my business and, and marketing and other uh, knowledge mm -hmm. with technical skill set. So that's really where I started was uh, back in the Yeah, so you've been around in the data world or working with data and these kinds of systems for... I mean, not as long as they've been around, but I mean, yeah. since Let's, they probably became somewhat popular and more yeah, common. Like SQL Server 6.0, I remember working with yeah. that. And I'm like, what? Right. How, I think I started at seven or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Analysis yeah, services like, <laughs> came out and it's like, yeah. 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 You know, writing, uh, I remember my first dashboard I built was using classic ASP yeah. on a web server. <laughs> like .NET wasn't even... All right. Enough of our, you know, data dinosaur talk, but That's like, right. <laughs> so, so data warehousing is something you're pretty familiar with. Is that mm -hmm. fair to say? Yep. Now, now go, coming from that background and having seen data warehousing mm -hmm. being, you know, implementing it yourself and yeah. being implemented for all these, all these years versus where, like, what do you see today? Like, well, maybe first off for someone that doesn't know, like, like how would you define data warehousing? What's the point of it or why you even do it? Yeah. And then, and then tell me about like what you're actually seeing today with your guys' clients. Like, is it something you do? Is it something you don't do? And yeah. all that. Like, I want to get a full breakdown of just like data warehousing from you. Sure. Yeah. And it's a fun environment because it's ever evolving uh, and it's always changing. But I would view data warehousing as it's the um, it's the practice and discipline of, of bringing t data together in a way that makes getting it out easy. And, and that may be a simplistic way of looking at it, but uh, that's how I view it. Uh, and, and there's a couple of uh, uh, popular um, individuals, Kimball, Inman, uh, Data Vault has emerged, but that's really more of a data staging architecture than it is a, uh, a data warehouse architecture. Uh, but Kinman and Imbol, uh, Kimball and Inman really <laughs> are the ones that are the kind of the, the, the grandfathers of, of this data warehouse. Um, and I find a data warehouse to be useful in cases where you need commonality. You need things to be structured in a way because it has to be the same. A customer needs to be a customer, needs to be a customer. A product needs to be a product, needs to be a product. And you need the business to be talking about things in very similar terms. Uh, it works very well on structured data. Um, it does not work so well on unstructured data. Uh, and, and that's where I think there's an evolution to what a data warehouse might be, because I think it has to encompass both of those elements. It can't just be this traditional, uh, you know, star schema, Kimball data warehouse. While that's part of it, and I think there's still a role and it still can be very important, it's got to be the right role and it's got to be the right fit. But then you have other elements. Uh, for example, the data science component is emerging uh, and you should build things in, in that way, features and, and, and data science repositories that people can reuse. And that may come from the data warehouse. Sometimes it's a lot easier to get it from a data warehouse, as we've typically described it. Um, and, and so I view things as an evolution. Uh, and that's how I would define a traditional data warehouse. I think there is a place for it still. I think it can be important. Um, but I think it has to be, again, a tool to do a job. And you got to understand what the end result needs to be. And then you can apply that to it. Too many times, I think people view a data warehouse as a data strategy. Oh, I've got a data warehouse. We're good. And I think maybe let's let's talk a little <laughs> deeper in terms of what that might be. What, what's what's your take on I mean, you've been you've lived in this world as long as I have. Well, how do you view it? Uh, pretty similar to you. I think in you know the earlier days, a data warehouse uh which basically, I don't know anyone that ever went the Inman route. Everyone I know went the Kimball route, uh, yeah. which were data marts, smaller, quicker to deploy, those mm -hmm. kind of things. Uh, I think it now, after working in big tech and some of these other places where where that actual physical thing is not even possible, not even close yeah. to remotely possible, yeah. it became more of a concept yeah. of here are a set of tables that define 
aspects of our business. And we are going to label those in a way that we all know that, yeah, yep. customers come from this table. Yep. Now that table may not fit the structure that Kimball or someone right. you know wrote in a book 20 years ago, but the concept of, okay, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, you know, and then this gets into another concept, master data management, yep. where it was like, that's your master customer list or something like that. So, yep. You know, I, I think the concept is really valuable, but then the physical implementation, when you have, say, petabytes of data, is just not even feasible. Right. You know, and when you have, when you have, uh, a, you know, so many companies are are app based, or mm-hmm. you know, uh, they have app and web components, so your data could be totally stored in different places, coming in at different velocities. Yeah. The concept of like a nice, clean ETL pipeline, loading the data, slowly yeah. changing dimensions, all of that is just very, very impractical. I mean, it gets right. to the point where you, you just go, okay. But the, 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 the activities, the let's sit down with the executives and define what a customer is. Yep. When do we call them active? When do we call them inactive? Those things, which are part of the kind of Kimball method of like, before you even write yep. a line of code or create a database, you have to figure that stuff out. I think that's super valuable. Yeah. Right. So I think it's more of a, it, I mean, at least, you know, where it's evolved to, to me is more of a concept than an actual physical thing. Yeah. And, and, and I've quite honestly, I've, I've had conversations with people where I say, here's the theory behind it. Now yeah. let's get into the reality. And, yeah. and the theory is nice. And, and for some cases, it still works. But like you're pointing out, in, in, in other cases, it just doesn't. But let's talk about the theory. Let's talk about what we were trying to do. And that's where I also, I guess, have some issue with people that just read a book and then try <laughs> and then just say, this is what I'm going to do. And I think, whoa, hold on. Uh, understand what you're trying to do. I mean, let, let's apply the theory and let's apply the, the learning that we have, not just follow a list and check it off. Uh, yeah. Because like you said, it doesn't work sometimes and you have to be able to know when it does and when it doesn't and be able to say this is we're gonna we're going down a terrible road if we do this but let's take some of the principles and and apply them and and i think you could be extremely successful and set up a data warehouse that way just like you were mentioning. yeah so. totally yeah i mean and, and one key difference from a technical standpoint probably and tell me if you agree is that you know back when the earlier days when we would create a database, data yeah. modeling was a really big thing where you defined the structure yeah. of the data in advance. Yeah. But now in the big data world with unstructured data, yeah. the the schema or the, yeah. the data model is defined when you read the data. Yes. And it can change at any instant. Yeah. Reason being, the app dev team may want to add a new field for a mm-hmm. user profile and by by no means ever should they have to wait for a data architect and modeler to agree on how to implement that. Yep. No, they yep. just make the change as they see. And there's probably and even an automated way of that. Oh, like I just added a field in Ruby on Rails or, right. uh, you know, something like that. And then, bam, it's just being stored because it's just completely automated. Yep. So so like where is the data model being defined is totally different now than it was probably even 10 years ago. So things like that really make it just impossible to try to in, 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 you know, again, maybe there's some cases, certainly there's a bazillion companies out there, but tell me about what you're seeing today. I mean, so you're saying it does work in some cases, it doesn't work in others. I mean, what kind of, um, alternatives are there if you're not going, Hey, let's go, you know, check all the boxes and go through the data warehouse life cycle or whatever. Like, what do you do? You know, we've got all this data, we've got, you know, 20 different platforms we use for all the different things. I mean, what do you, what do you do with all that? How do you, how do you make some sense of a congruency among the data? Yeah, that's that, uh, again, that's one of those things that's easy to sit and talk about and then to actually implement is tough, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, the, the rise of XML started it and JSON just took it to another level mm-hmm. in terms of being able to do things. Uh, what I found to be helpful, and this is where, again, there are um, elements uh, that are become buzzwords that I find to be annoying, and then I use them. And, <laughs> and this is where the, the term or the concept of a data lake has been yeah. terribly misused and in put through the ringer. But I think when you have these areas and these systems that are uh, that are out there that you need to be able to manage and govern, you have a couple of ways that you can do that. Um, and uh, one of the ways is truly 
to create uh, a, a data lake where you're pulling in information that you need as it exists. And it's just, it's landing there because you know you're going to need it. What I don't like is when people say, well, let's just throw everything in there. Well, mm. it's not a data lake anymore. That's a data swamp. And, and <laughs> no one can really use that. So if you're, if you're judicious and you understand strategically why you're doing this, you're going to pull it in from the multiple areas and, and kind of getting around the front of it saying, okay, we have these various systems that are doing similar things. Can we put a little bit of effort in up front to get it so that it aligns more closely when it lands, which will help us do something with it? Uh, I think that's one way of doing it. Um, I think another way is leveraging APIs to, to do lookups and to, to leverage things that are in other places. Uh, and so it really can be distributed, but at some point you have to determine, okay, where is the ultimate source of this but everyone can now use that and and and, and by uh, leveraging apis rather than your traditional etl process you can get the benefit of standardizing and having governed mm. quality data it doesn't necessarily have to live in the modeled kimball data warehouse uh, but it can be extremely useful and it can have all the elements of data quality it can have all the elements of uh, uh, data assurance that's there um, and so those are two ways that I've seen to be able to deal with it in this distributed environment. One, you are truly going to bring it in, but you're kind of writing it in almost in real time and letting it land because you have a plan of what you're going to do with that data. And, and you would get around the front of it a little bit to have people help you with that. The second mm -hmm. is leveraging a uh, kind of almost an API or a services framework where you're going to call and, and use data. Um, almost remotely or in a logical sense rather than just storing it physically everywhere. Yeah, give, give me an example of an API that we, you would call there. I mean, get, get, yeah. how would you use that to improve the data quality? So that may be something, uh, for example, in a uh, within an organization, you have sales, you have marketing, you have finance, and they all have to deal with a customer. Well, we shouldn't have customers being separated out. And now this gets into a little bit of your principles of master data management, where you have, uh, you have a customer somewhere uh, that has been vetted, it's been stored, some standards have been applied, there's a common address, and everyone should be able to use that. So uh, now make a call and either update or leverage what you need. If you need to have it populated in a view, great, put it in there, but you're calling that rather than living in your own little system here that has a different version of what it is, and finance is largely doing the same. Uh, quite honestly, the analytics group can also do the same thing and say, well, I'm going to leverage this. And now people are using the same version of customer. And if it needs to be updated in systems, you're just calling and making an update and, and grabbing it and everyone's living in the same same world. That, that maybe yeah. is a rough analogy, but that's one. Yeah, I've seen that in real life. And I think this is a great example because uh, I've, I've, talked to software architects and engineers about this before where they didn't understand the reason why like hey i manage the app i yeah. am the source of truth everyone yeah. else is just you know uh second fiddle but the truth is like you're saying you have the sales team the finance team the marketing team the the web app itself with a product we'll yeah. product yeah, team we'll the call product it. team yep and and uh you know, they made a the, the the person may have signed up on the website and put in their address and fat fingered it or something, yeah. and then they got an invoice and then they called the sales team to change the address and the sales team went into Salesforce, not yeah. into the to the product, and updated the address. Yeah. Well, now who's right? Who yeah. who's what? What is the true? address because it can be if it can be updated and changed in multiple places yeah you, you have then, to have some way to determine who is right i mean what it, do you it, do exactly and then the sales organization says well i want to see how i'm doing across my regions and geographies well but it's different here than it is there and oh well that business moved and oh well i updated it but no one else did and okay yeah. well now and now i'm sending my invoice to the wrong place and Oh, it's been 90 days. They haven't paid. Well, yeah, it's because it's sitting where it's not supposed to be. And Yeah, they, you mailed it to the wrong location. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so no one got that, it. And, and that's where it doesn't have to be a Kimball model data warehouse to get to that point. But that's why, to me, a, a chief data officer becomes important because they get in front of those things or if not in front of, they are at least driving the company to think that way. 
Um, and uh, to, to have that top of mind when we make a decision, I, I'm not just interested in what it's doing here, but wh- how does that impact other people? Um, and, and what would I need need there? Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. Because as a customer service rep or sales rep yeah. or finance person in, in our example here, or even a software developer making changes yep. to the, to the app, yep. well, I'm just going to make a, a new field or I'm just going to make a yes. thing here. And, 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 and like my boss told me to do that and that was my job and I did it. And now I am happy. I'm going to go play video games or have a beer or whatever I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's the mindset of, Oh, actually, you know, this is like customer data is pretty critical yes. to, uh, to our company. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should just tell someone like, <laughs> I don't necessarily have to be the guy that figures it out. Yeah. But this is your, would this be my center of excellence or my data governance council? Like, like who would I tell if I were the software engineer making an update in this case or a salesperson? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that I have a hard and fast answer to that. I would say as long as it gets to one of those two, I think it's appropriate. Uh, I would, uh, there, there's conversation about whether structure is dealt with, with the data governance and then data itself is the uh, the mm. center of excellence, but I would say it as long as it can go to one of those places and you can figure out the appropriate way to deal with it, uh, that's the important thing because then individuals are asking the right questions. And, and I think you alluded to it or even directly said it, um, you start to shape culture when people think that way. And that's why treating data as a first-class citizen is all about culture and, and people. And that's why when people spin up a data warehouse and say, hey, I've got a data strategy, I think, you're, you got mm. one of the four main areas, but you're missing so much else. It's it's similar to where I just had recently where someone had asked us to pull data in and we need to be closer to real time because we need to make decisions. So when something changes, I need to know about that. And when we looked at the table um, that we were pulling from, there was no modified date. And so mm. we asked that to be put in. <laughs> And then the software engineers were like, well, that has nothing to do with me. I'll get to that in like a year. Like yeah. in, in their mind, they couldn't see this is useless. Why would we even put it in here? It doesn't, we don't need this for anything. And as soon as someone says, well, I don't need it to get the data in, I think, oh, the culture clearly hasn't evolved to thinking about what might we want to do with this? How could we, how could we support this initiative and have data become a first-class citizen so that it makes the business better. And when people start thinking that way and acting that way, everything starts, all ships start to rise in that terms. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Now, now I got a couple more questions. So you mentioned getting the data in quickly. Um, you know, traditionally folks like me and you would probably think daily is, is about what all you need. (laughs) Uh, what are you seeing in today's world? And, you know, are we doing real time now? Are we doing streaming? Like what's, what are you guys doing or seeing out there and, and, and how do you kind of define those things? Like what is real time? Yeah. So, oh man, (laughs) the age old question. And I will say that I find uh, I'm going to lump people into two general camps. That's always dangerous, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, and, and I find the people that are talking real time and saying it because they heard it and then people saying it because they really need it. Uh, and the distinction that I make is when they ask for real time, I first say, what's your definition? And there are people that will say, well, uh, it's weekly because, and I think, oh, well, that's different than what I thought. So (laughs) I think the best definition I ever heard of real time is faster than what you're getting right now. So like if you're, if you're getting it monthly, daily is real time. If you're getting it daily, hourly is real time. Um, and so uh, I find that people, you want to use the buzzword and say, I need real time. And my question to them is, can you act in real time? What can you do with this? And can you make a decision? Can you impact the business? Are you going to do something with this if we get it to you in real time? And by the way, my definition of real time is, is probably close to when the action was happening you know, within a few seconds, maybe a minute of something occurring, you're, you're, you're having that information available for information so you can take action. And oftentimes the people that just want it because it's a buzzword, they can't articulate a reason or a way that they would act in real time. And so we'll have that conversation in terms of, okay, let's talk about right time then instead of real time. What's the right time? How can you act? And because if you truly want to go real time, it is, there's a whole separate set of technology. There's a whole separate architecture. That's not cheap and it's not trivial. 
Um, but then you have other individuals that truly need to know what's happening uh, in, in finance with stock tickers in call centers when you know people are having conversations with people. They truly have use cases where they need real time. And in those cases, it is, it is messages, it is cues, it is uh, streaming things in and working with things quickly in that regard and then getting them into a format where people can use it. Uh, you might process that a little further down the stream in a batch process for historical and things that might be more traditional uh, from a data warehouse, but you have to get the data in front of people quickly in a clean, trusted way. And that usually involves streaming. That usually involves some type of uh, technology that takes it, moves it in, queues it up, puts it out, uh, and allows people to get to it in just a few seconds from when the event occurred. So, yeah, know. it makes sense. You know, th thinking of a uh, maybe like fraud detection for a bank yeah. or something yes. like that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Or a uh, uh, network operations center that's looking at your uh, yeah. your your data your data center, like what's going on with our the heat or something like that. You know, I totally. need like very real time info because as yeah. soon as that triggers, I need to start acting. Right. Yeah, we're in manufacturing. Yeah, the CEO. Yeah, the CEO is never going to. Well, hopefully not. Is never really <laughs> should never need real time. I, I always liked the, uh, uh, you know, people when I was doing consulting, people would ask me about real time, and I would say, yeah, you can access it in real time. You know, <laughs> like it's right there. Whatever you, you know. want, <laughs> <laughs> anytime you want, it's it's available. Now it, it is funny though because I remember working with a couple clients that. Uh, we didn't do it, but they had some real-time stuff and we uh -huh. were coming in and trying to do some other stuff and they were asking us to to check this out and see if there was something we could fix because when uh, when you pulled up the dashboard, Peter, when I pulled up the dashboard, the numbers were different. Yeah. <laughs> and it was real-time. And we thought, yeah, <laughs> things change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it changed in real yep. time. Yep. So... If you want them to be the same, then you need some, you know, such of a snapshot that <laughs> yeah. pauses it for you. Yeah, I, right. When, Maybe if you want to rewind it or something right. you know, to the previous minute, like. Yeah. But real we time had, is yeah, it, so it's a different time. animal. We, we actually had an experience where we we'd set things up and we monitored who was looking at reports, and the most used report was was, and it wasn't truly real time. It was micro batch, like five minutes. So yeah. it would change, but. That report was used, and when we looked at who was using it, it was the chief marketing officer, and he would sit there and refresh the thing. All like <laughs> he would just refresh and, and see the things change. And I thought, holy cow, that's interesting. So yeah, you know, it's funny. I actually got my first job as an on as an actual uh, developer in my title because uh -huh. of that. I I built this Excel sheet for the sales supervisors um, at, at a call center I worked at, and I wrote a macro that used VBA to go query this like <laughs> internal website for the sales numbers yeah and i gave it to like 50 of them right <laughs> and they're just sitting there doing what you're saying they're just hitting refresh and every single time they're doing it it's making a call or multiple calls and so the the it team that built this internal website would call yeah. me like what the what hell is going doing? on <laughs> and uh and that led they said Hey, how about this? Why don't you come work for us yeah. as an actual database uh, developer and you'll just build a, an actual, a real tool for people uh, to do this on a uh, website? That is best. You know. you know, two of the best data people I've ever hired, I hired out of call centers who were just getting the job done because someone needed to do it. And they turned out to be some of the most brilliant people I've ever worked with. And that's so fascinating. Oh, that's yeah. It's like a very think on your feet kind of yeah. uh, job yeah. and yeah. you get it done. You very, the hacker mindset of just totally let's get that. Let's get this. Let's get this. Let's click, click, click and boom, boom, boom. And look at, we have this real time analytics thing that yep. we just made out of, you know, Excel and Microsoft access. <laughs> that's or right. something. Oh, but that's awesome. It works. So <laughs> That's great, man. Well, it's it's been great to catch up with you. I want to hear more. So, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in this kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and then, I, and then, I have one last question for you after sure. that. But uh, how can people reach you personally and or yeah. your company and all that? Sure. So, uh, for Align BI, you can go to www.alignbi.com on our site. We explain kind of our fractional CDO services. We we're really just trying to get this momentum going for companies to start. You might not be ready, just like companies need a, a fractional CFO, they might not be ready for a full-blown, but you certainly need the principles and everything in place. We do a full assessment, and then that helps us understand where should we start with you, because uh, let, let's go. So alignbi.com, you can email me at petern 
P-E-T-E-R-N as a Nancy at alignbi.com. Um, and, and I'll reply to that as well. Uh, but we're just out there trying to help this uh, movement to democratize data, make it better, make it a first-class citizen and help companies use it better. So. I, I love it. I love it. Now, uh, the last question I'm asking you and I ask everyone that comes on this, um, how, what is, or how do you define data science? Oh man. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, well, it could be, I guess the, uh, someone who uses Excel on a Mac or something like that, but I don't think that's <laughs> it anymore. Uh, I would say to, to me that data science is a cross-section, and I will, I'll be honest, uh, I think a data scientist in and of itself is a unicorn because I think it's the combination of programming chops, statistical and mathematic chops, um, and uh, business, uh, uh, business acumen and business chops. Though that combination of things, to me, makes a data scientist. What I think is more appropriate is it's a data science group where you have individuals mm. that live in those realms. You may have someone who is a phenomenal programmer and really good at the math, but the, the people skills and the data is, or the business isn't them. Or maybe you have someone that's a business person and really good statistically, but not a great programmer. Get, get combinations of those people together and now you form a killer data scientist group that can, that can work together. If you could find that person, that person is phenomenal and, and worth yeah. a lot of money. So I, I view it as a cross-section of those three things, the programming, the the statistical data, the what people traditionally view as the algorithms, and then the business application. Get those together, that's a data scientist. I love it. It's like Captain Planet, right? You got that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. The most powerful. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, Peter, I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah. We'll let everyone know about where you guys are at and try to send them your way. Sweet. Um, and and let's, uh, let's catch up again soon, man. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, man. It was good to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation there with Peter Nettenshime of Align BI. We'll put links to all the things he mentioned in the show notes, so you can go check those out if you're interested. Also, if you want to hear more conversations like this, please make sure to subscribe, turn notifications on on YouTube or your podcast player or whatever you may be listening from. And thanks for watching. I'll see you back here in the next one.